Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Made Simple. There's no doubt LinkedIn is an essential platform for businesses and business professionals to capture leads, jobs, and referrals. But let's face it, LinkedIn is still very confusing to many. I mean, what do you do on LinkedIn anyway? The good news is it doesn't have to be this way. You can go from clueless to conquering the platform quicker than you think with LinkedIn Made Simple. LinkedIn Made Simple is a step-by-step video-based online course that guides you through the exact steps you need to effectively use LinkedIn so your brand can flourish. So whether you're a job seeker looking for a new role, an executive looking to boost your profile, or a business looking to up your game on LinkedIn, LinkedIn Made Simple will help you achieve your LinkedIn goals. Check out LinkedInMadeSimple.com and enroll today. Welcome to the brand new you show, the podcast dedicated to helping you clearly and confidently build and market your brand so you flourish. I'm your host, Ryan Roten, and today's guest is Aaron Sanchez from Candidly Aaron. Aaron is a writer, speaker, and storytelling strategist on a mission to help high achievers grow their audience, authority, and income with storytelling. Aaron is also the founder of Storytelling You and host of the podcast, Just Say the Word. You can find her work at her website, candidlyerin.com, where she will help you learn the art of storytelling to grow your brand and business because she believes everyone has a story and that the world should hear yours. Erin, welcome to the Brand New You Show. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. And just like you said to me, I love that introduction. Thank you. I'm going to steal it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like you, I just found it, right? And pieced it together. So, (laughs) Yeah, it's just somebody else's perspective on how it's pieced together, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. We both both have that gift, if you will, to do that. True. As podcasters. <laughs> anyway, uh, as we get started here, I have one question I like to ask all of my guests before we dive into the meat of our discussion, if you will, which is if you could vacation in only one place for the rest of your vacation days, where would you go? This is literally, I'm the worst person you could ask this to because I'm the person who doesn't have a favorite color, a favorite anything because I'm so indecisive. That's so hard. I'm just going to pick the first thing that came to mind. I'm going to say New York City, which is, I know, I know that's probably odd. Like I love paradise. I love the mountains. I love all of that. Um, I love New York City because something about that city, it just has, I don't know if I lived there in a past life or something, but there's some things that speaks to my soul and the diversity and the energy. I just, I don't know. It's somewhere that I always wanted to visit. I always had a particular vision of what New York City meant um, and how it was. And then when I visited it, it lived up to that exactly. And I think about it all the time. So, wow. yeah, awesome. I think I'd never get bored. Yeah. There's always something new to see. It. That is true. That is true. I will say this, though. The last <laughs> time I went to New York City, of course, my mistake, I drove in downtown Manhattan. Should never have done that. Oh, yeah. Got sw- sideswiped <laughs> no, no. by a car. When I was there. So lesson for me is do not drive downtown Manhattan. (laughs) No, no, that's definitely not involved. Like the vacation in New York is somebody else is like toting me around or I'm walking or yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Lesson learned. And for anybody who wants to go there, just just know that they drive crazy in downtown New York City. And when they need to be somewhere, they do not care if you are in the way. (laughs) No, I remember being um, on top of... I don't even remember what it was, but it's been so many years, but I remember being on top of one of the buildings and looking like you hear this roar of the city. And Mm. it sounds like when you're, as you know, being in Colorado, like the sound of the river rushing in the woods, like that, that roaring. And that was the traffic. And it was just like yellow rivers of taxis and everything. So yeah, definitely stay off those roads. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's why they have, you know, subways and trains and stuff like that. Just take advantage of public transportation. (laughs) Totally. Let's go ahead and dive in. You're now the proprietor, we'll say, of candidlyaaron.com, but you were not yes. always doing that. So tell me a little bit no. before you got started, um, you know, blogging and and kind of in this crazy online marketing world. What were you what were you doing before that? Yeah, so I'll go back to I won't give my whole life story, but I'll go back to like when I was in the 9 to 5 because I think that is um important for the the journey. So I was in the 9 to 5, I was working in marketing. And um, my first job after college, which was not my first job job, because I took some time to get through college, right? And I worked and all that in between. Um, But my first job after college was in marketing and real estate. And that got really boring really fast. Um, And then I was like, you know, I know I, I love this marketing thing. I love this communications thing. And I kind of 
to be honest, job hopped, but that was just because I always had that, that entrepreneurial like DNA in me. And I just was like, this isn't really fulfilling, you know, um, all the things that I see for myself. And I always wanted something more and something bigger. And I didn't really know what that looked like, but I knew I loved words. I knew I was a good writer. I knew I had like these skills and these passions. And so I started diving into, while I was on the job, by the way, like blogs about freelancing and copywriting and like how I could use the things that I'm good at to do something for myself and by myself. And I also was struggling with um, some chronic health issues. I have autoimmune diseases. And so I was really struggling with that. And I thought, I can't do this clock in 8am, sit all day under fluorescent lights, leave at five, be too exhausted to do anything, to have a life, to spend time with my new, you know, I had just gotten married, my new husband, all that. So I was just really miserable in sort of all aspects of my life. And so then I, I started getting some little freelancing gigs here and there. Then I started contracting with bigger companies like Microsoft. I got my first contract with them. And that was sort of when my life changed. I was like, wait a sec people are out here making really good money, right? Like there's money to be made with the skills that I have and expertise. And so I just started, you know, leveraging these little projects I'd done, plus, you know, my experience with Microsoft to get bigger and bigger contracts and projects and doing more, you know, communications work. Um, so that t- then like in 2014, I was out of the nine to five for good and also out of, um, like I was still doing consulting work, but it was all right from home. And it was really like I was on this, um, the path that I had seen for myself. But then I was still, because I'm a, I'm a high achiever. And so like, I never settle, right? So there's always something beyond, there's always something more that I'm after. And so I was like this, you know, I I really want to make a name for myself, I want to start helping other people, because other people started asking me, how are you how are you doing this? How are you working from home? How are you finding jobs? Is this stressful? Is this, you know, like I remember going to the dentist and the gal was like, um, cause when you're consulting, sometimes you go through agencies. Right. And I had like had different insurance over time. And she goes, you always have like a different, like a different insurer. Doesn't this stress you out? Like that's, and I'm like, no, I, I love this. Like I get to choose to do something new and different. Anyway, so people were asking me how I was doing it, and that's when I started the blog. And um, the reason I went with Candidly Aaron is because Aaron Sanchez was taken. <laughs> All forms of Aaron Sanchez was taken, and I was like, okay, well, I'm very candid in my, like, I'm very action and education oriented. So I started the blog to start talking to people about how they can do this and how they can, yeah, go from nine to five. Or, and it's evolved since then, but I'll, I'll just stop there for, for now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, same same thing happened with me when I was going through it because it sounds like we had a very similar path. We both were in full time jobs. We started something on the side, mm-hmm. and then that just kind of led to eventually where we are now. But when I decided to start to share what I was learning through my website, I also went to get ryanroten dot com, and it was taken, mm. which which shocked me. And it was like the, one of the first moments where I started to realize that I'm not the only Ryan Roten in the world. Cause I thought (laughs) I was, I thought, okay, that's a pretty unique name. In in your case, you share your name with a lot of different Aaron Sanchez's. Yeah. But I, I didn't think I would either. That's what's so funny because, and this is just my own assumption, but I was like, Aaron is a super Irish name and Sanchez is a super Spanish name. So who out there is Aaron Sanchez, right? Like I just thought I'm I'm the one and only, not so. And the funny thing is, um, which I think that my Google results and stuff, my SEO is like starting to overtake some of these other people. But one of the Aaron Sanchez's actually comes up as a writer as well. So I was like, oh my, but not in the same space as me, but still I'm like, hey, that's my keyword. (laughs) I I need Aaron Sanchez writer. You're diving in now full time, right? Freelancing. What 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 was that like in the beginning? Like, what were some of the what was maybe the biggest hurdle that as you were getting started that you you kind of went, oh wait, I didn't mm. I didn't really think about that. Yeah, I guess the biggest one for me was like I I thought that if I was a good writer and I just showed people that I was a good writer that I could just find clients and fill up my roster. And, and it actually can be fairly easy to find clients, but I think there's like an art to positioning yourself and standing out. Right. Because we, I don't know if you did this, but like I spent a lot of time on 
what is now Upwork, <laughs> but I won't, I won't oh, like, yeah. give, give away my age, but before it was something else, um, like when I started on there, it wasn't Upwork yet. And um, <laughs> I don't remember what it was now, but um, so when I started on there, I was like, wait, there's all these people competing for all these jobs, these freelancing jobs, these copywriting jobs, but I'm reading these books about copywriting saying I can be making 50 or hundred bucks an hour doing this, right? but nobody on the site is paying this and there's 80 people applying to every gig. And so I thought I have to figure out a different way to get clients. Like this isn't, I don't even want to mess with these job boards. I don't want to compete. I don't want to spend my time on proposals against 80 other copywriters. My writing isn't enough, unfortunately. Right. Even if it's better than other people's, right. It's, it's not always enough. Yeah. 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 That's the, uh, that's the unfortunate side effect effect. I think of some of these job boards that are out there like Upwork is that people who use them, not, not like you and I as creatives trying to get work, but people who go to them to try to find people to do work from them. I think they typically have this mindset of, well, I go there and I can get things done cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a race to the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you end up competing against other people for the lowest price, which is, like the, it, nobody can stay in business that way. <laughs> no, and you shouldn't do business that way because then you're going to be trading hours for very little dollars and you might as well be doing a job where you right. get benefits and vacation time and all that. Yeah. Right, right. So, so how did you, how did you overcome that, that challenge? Like where, what did you do to start to distinguish yourself, not just from the other errands of the world, but also from all these other copywriters that are out there on platforms like Upwork? Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to, and surprise, building a personal brand, you know, showing up and starting to tell my story in a way that um, was not just, which I think a lot of people think about, they just show up and they tell their story and it makes people like them and then they want to work with them. And that's partly true, but telling my story really strategically where I could show people how my story relates to their problem and how my story makes me the right person to solve their problem. And so I started showing up more as, and I know this is kind of one of those words that people sometimes have a strong reaction to negatively, but for lack of a better term is thought leadership, showing up and showing people that you're thinking about things in a unique way, showing up on social media and providing thought leadership type of value for other people and them saying, wait a sec, she's, you know, she's credible and I do like her. Right. And so then you start building that no like, and trust factor. And I started bringing clients to me like inbound marketing, right. Instead of like out there pitching and pitching and pitching. And that's a game changer in my opinion. Yeah. It's super hard when you're trying to compete with everybody else. And the only thing people have to compare you against someone else is a proposal and they don't, right. And they don't look at they don't look at anything else that surrounds that when you've got two, it's kind of like looking at two different resumes or, you know, as a hiring manager, all you have is what, what it says on the paper. You don't know, yeah. you don't know the quality or any of the other stuff of the person or the, what, what you're going to get when you pay for it. So you, you just put exactly. yourself in a position where, you know, without that brand, without that little extra that says, Hey, this is who I am. And this is how we can work together. You know, you're basically a commodity is what it comes down to. Exactly. Yeah. And the worst place that you want to be in is just being one name in a stack, right. Of other names, because it's just, you're at that point, it does become somewhat of a numbers game. Right. And, um, Uh, there are definitely ways to brand yourself better, like right on a resume and a cover letter and things like that. But still what I, the way I see it is if you start branding yourself and showing up on social media as a thought leader and you're sharing stuff, then somebody who may not even be out there looking for the service provider yet. Right. So maybe they're like, we're going to need a copywriter, for example, to work on this project, this upcoming project with us, but we haven't put out the, we haven't listed the gig anywhere. We haven't started doing the search, but Hey, Aaron's showing up on my feed and she's talking about this stuff. And wait a second. I know her. I trust her. She seems very credible. They can come to me before they, before they even post a gig, which means guess what? Now you have zero competition, right? Yeah. You've just created, right? Like you have zero competition and that's, that's the sweet spot. Yeah, totally. I'm working with a client right now who just told me in our last session that the re, cause I just, I, I ask 
And I think everybody should. Yeah. At some point, you should start asking yes. your clients why they pick you. Um, maybe you don't want to do right. that right away because you're too nervous about like just delivering your services. But at some point, start asking them because uh, what they tell you was very enlightening. And she actually said one of the reasons she went with me is because when she was researching who she wanted to pick and there were three of us she was choosing from, she said I had, uh, you know, like two of them didn't didn't have a very good website. One didn't have one at all. One had mm. uh, was doing social media sporadically, right? So she was like, you had the best website, you had the best web presence. I had a feeling just from what you were posting on social media that you were the person that I could work with. And then you just validated that when we had our conversation. But she mm. didn't even have a conversation with one of the other two people because they didn't have a website. They had no presence. So she's like, how can I expect them to help me with the thing I need help with when they're not even doing it themselves? Right. Totally. And you touched on something else that's really important for people to understand why they need to show up consistently because the consistency is the piece that builds trust. Trust happens day by day over time. And if, and even if she just met you, right, like met quote unquote, right. Even if she just came across you, but she can look at your profile and say, well, he's been showing up every single day on social media. He's here. He's the real deal, right? That's huge for building trust. Yeah. I want to I move into, you have multiple resources on your website that when taken collectively, like they would really help someone who wants to start a side business or even freelancers who just want to kind of get their name out there more, demonstrate some more thought leadership, if you will. And one of the first questions that I think people start to ask themselves is, I have no clue what I would do. You have a resource called Choose Your Niche mm-hmm. or Niche, however you would like to say that. Right. And so I say niche, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So do I. Uh, so why is it important that everybody find their niche to begin with? Um, well, I mean, I think that it's super important to find a, your niche because you can't talk to everybody and serve everybody because then you're just going to be right. It's like, um, you're not <laughs> right. You're, you're not going to be able to charge really good rates, which you have to charge as a business owner. You're going to find that out with taxes and expenses. You're going to have to charge a decent hourly rate. You can't just trade like your day job rate, you know, 16, 20 bucks, 25 bucks an hour. You can't do that. So you have to own your niche and become an expert at that thing. And when you have a niche, you show up on social media or wherever you're showing up. Um, You need to have something very specific that you're talking about over and over and over again so that people see you as the expert in that thing. If you're talking about all kinds of random different little things, people won't have a very clear idea of what it is you do and they won't know how to work with you. Like that's the bottom line, I think. Yeah, I I highlight in my book, congruency is super important too. Not just consistency, but congruency. In that meaning, if I go and I look at your profile, I should see a lot of similar things and not a bunch of disparate things Mm -hmm. that make no sense to anybody but you. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you have to be able to tie, I always call it like the thread, right? Like everything you do, even if you talk about different topics, they all have to have a thread that leads to like, that niche, that central thing that you do. Right. And it's like when you were saying in my bio, I, it's kind of the same thing. I was like, storytelling, you know, just say the word, like everything, like people know, right. That I'm like a, probably a word nerd (laughs) just from hearing that bio. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Speaking of the central thing you do, I mean, one of the things that you highlight in your uh, download here is that you need to really find your passion, your skills and, and what people will pay for. It's kind of that mix of those things. Passion is one of those kind of things that people, you know, it's a word people throw around a lot. What does passion mean to you? If I'm, if I'm trying to find out what my passion is, like what should I be looking for or looking at? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I work with a lot of, and because I am myself, I think, um, a multi multi multi-passionate people. So we have all these different things and we're like, what do I choose? How do I, right? So a passion can be just something that we really like, right? I think the key to the reason that there's an intersection is in that, that, you know, um, Venn diagram that you just described is that you have to have a passion that you can monetize, which these days you can monetize pretty much anything. So that's the good news. When you think about that passion that you want to monetize, you've got to think about what do you have a lot to say on? You can't stop talking about it, right? Like you want to like preach on it or whatever, right? But also be very careful that this isn't a passion that if you do monetize it, that it no longer becomes an outlet for you, 
Like, right. So like, this is just something I want people to be careful about because it happens. I love fitness. Absolutely love it. Something I've loved since I was 15 years old, lifting weights for a while. I thought I wanted to go into fitness coaching in that industry. And then I realized fitness is my escape. I don't want to, like, it is a passion, but I personally don't want to um, turn it into what I am thinking about it strategically from a business perspective all the time, right? So we can be passionate about a lot of different things. It just means you like it. You have a lot to say on it. Which one of those things do you want to still be your creative outlet or your escape? Yeah. Well, that's why I think having, having your skill set kind of overlap that passion, yes. you know, finding the the mix between the two is, is really important because, you know, like you may like to lift weights, but you may not like to teach people how to lift weights yes. or, you know, be skilled at the art of developing a weightlifting plan or procedure for someone. Right. Right. That's a, that's a completely separate skill set. Yep. So you have to marry that passion with, okay, what do you actually, what can you actually do? What yep. are your skills? Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of people, um, in say, let's just say in the nine to five, right. Cause maybe that's, you know, that's our story. Maybe that's a little bit your listener stories. You're in the nine to five. And like, for me, I was like, well, I have, experience and skills in marketing and in communications. Why would I throw all that away? Right. When I can literally just leverage that to, to make me, to, to move into freelancing, to move into coaching, to move into whatever I want to do. Um, and say, that's the credibility, at least some of it, right. That I can stand on to say, Hey, I know this stuff. So when people are in a job and maybe they think they don't want to be in that space anymore because they don't like their job. And so they're like, well, I got to go learn something else. And, and, and they have imposter syndrome around that other thing because they don't have, like you said, the experience and the skills to do that. But there's always a way I think to spin the skills that you have into something you want to do. Even if you hate your day job and how you're using those skills, you can leverage those skills to do something else. Right. Um, yeah. I don't do a lot of the same things anymore that I did in a nine to five, but I still absolutely use the skills that I have. Yeah, totally. It's, there's so many transferable skills from your current job yes. into what you need and into what you will be doing or could be doing as a side gig or a freelancer or, you know, a full entrepreneur or whatever you want to call yourself. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's so many skills that you can leverage. You just have to think about them. And I think the problem that people run into is when you do something over and over and over, it just becomes in your mind something you do. Right. And you forget that the value those skills add to other people. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah. Say it again, because this is one of the things I think people, people miss all the time with their own. They take for granted the skills that they have. They take for granted their experience because they just think, well, if I can do this it and it comes easy, easily to me, then it, everybody must be able to do this. Right. right. And I, I, I've done, I went through the same thing and I talked to people on my podcast about the same, I hear it over and over again. It's almost become part of my podcast mission is that, you know, I, I spoke with someone who had 20 years in sales mm -hmm. and then she was fighting, creating her business around sales because she thought, well, this is just something that I know. And everybody knows us about sales. Right. And then she realized, wait, no, they don't. I've been doing this for 20 years. This isn't something yep. everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing when you actually just kind of sit back and you think about, okay, this is what I do on a daily basis and it's worth this to this company. But if you take it outside of that company, it could potentially be worth a lot more. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So once we've nailed down our niche, we kind of know a direction of where we want to go. The next thing we need to know is we need to understand who are our people. In other words, who are our clients or our customers? And you have a really good worksheet on your website called the Customer Profile Worksheet to help people find their ideal client. So let, let me just ask, what is an ideal client for someone? So an ideal client is the person who, in super simple terms, it's the person who needs exactly what you have to offer and is ready to meet you exactly where you are in terms of like price and the way you work together, right? So it's, it's someone you want to work with, someone you can serve to your fullest and someone who's willing to pay for that. All right, so we're so we're helping people right now figure out okay, how do I how do I start a side gig or how do I, if I'm a freelancer, how do I really start to narrow in on what I want to do? So we've talked about 
defining a niche, we've talked about really kind of honing in on who your customer should be. The next thing I think that comes up for people as they think about it is, okay, what do I charge for this stuff? And I think people get hung up so much on what should I charge for something that they actually forget about, okay, how much do I need to make? Especially, you know, when you're, when you're a side business, it's one thing, but when you become a full, a full-time freelancer or solopreneur, whatever you want to call yourself, like you have to know how much money you need to make in order to maintain your lifestyle. So you have a resource called the complete income and billing workbook that is on your website. And one of the first things you say is think about the hours that you want to work first, before you even think about pricing or income or money you want to bring in, just how many hours do you want to work? Why is that important to start there? Mm-hmm. This is like one of my, I, I love talking about the money aspect and I know a lot of people don't, but it's so important, right? And so one of the things we want to think about is how many hours you want to work because when you're a freelancer um, or a business owner of any kind, right? We start to think about where, okay, if I work 40 hours a week at this, you know, at, at $25 an hour, oh, I'll be making more than I, than I did in my business. Or I mean, in my day job, sorry. And that's not true because we have to spend a good portion of our time marketing ourselves, right? We have to spend so much of our time doing administrative work for our business and all of that. So if you don't want to work 60 or 80 hours a week, then you need to decide, okay, I want to work, you know, a 40 hour week. How many of those hours do I need for my marketing, my admin, whatever? That means I can only bill for this amount. So if you're not willing, and I wasn't willing, I don't want to work. I mean, in the beginning, I definitely hustle. Don't get me wrong. But like, if you don't want to continue working 80 hours every week, then you need to define that up front. You need to say, what do I want my lifestyle to look like? How do I want to spend my time, right? And um, where does some of that need to be spent? Because if you say, I want to work 40 hours a week, so this is what I'm going to charge hourly, you're going to end up working more than that, by the way, if that's how you're approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And another thing that like, we'll get to this in a second, but one of the, one of the things I was thinking about as I was going through this, when you think, because you you address what you should charge, Mm -hmm. right? As a part of that. And one of the things that I kept thinking about was, you know, when I was doing a side gig, like if I could get a job that paid me $500, like that's extra money. Mm -hmm. That was great. Right. But what you quickly realize when you're a solopreneur or freelancer is that if you only charge 500 bucks, <laughs> A, you're going to work a lot more for it. So you're out, your personal hourly rate is going to go way down. Yes. But B, you need a boatload of $500 projects yes. in order to sustain your lifestyle. Absolutely. So as you take a look at desired income versus, you know, hey, I just take a job because it's it's money coming in. How should people think about charging for their projects? Should they Should they go and say, I'm going to charge by the hour? And then I'll track my hours or should they look more at, okay, I'm going to do this project and then I need to charge for the project. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big proponent of charging by the project or um, I don't think I talk about retainers in that workbook, but um, just thinking about reverse engineering your income. So, you know, first, I guess, let me back up because I think it's like important for you to go there's a certain level of if you're super new and you literally have just graduated college and you don't have a lot of applied experience or whatever, you can say, I want to make a million dollars and it it may not happen in your first year, right? It's probably not going to happen. So I think we need to be realistic about what we can charge. Like, let me just say that first, right? But let's, let's figure out like what we want our lives to look like. For me, I, I want to reverse engineer that and say, I want to make at least six figures, right? I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got these bills to pay. I've got to figure out what my living expenses are and say, this is the amount that I need um, to be making every year, but to also have money left over to live and enjoy my life. So you have to kind of, you know, reverse engineer it and say, what do I need to make every year? And then um, say, okay, well then that's, you know, an average of what a month. Okay, great. So you actually do figure out your hourly rate in doing that, but you don't tell the client. (laughs) That's my opinion, right? I know if I need to work 20, you know, 20 billable hours a 
a week and I'm going to like be terrible with the math. Well, let's just whatever. Right. Like, so I need to work 20 hours a week. I need to charge at least $50 an hour or a hundred dollars an hour for those in order to meet that, that end of the year goal. Then you start thinking about the project that you're quoting and you say, all right, they want me to, let's say you're a web designer, right? So that we, so that people know it's not just for freelance writers, right? Like you're a web designer and you say, okay, I know that it's going to take me. And this, in the beginning, you might, you might take more hours than you thought. you got to like do a few projects and really kind of refine, like knowing how many hours you're going to spend on a project, but you go, okay, I'm going to you know, I'm going to design this website and it's going to take me 30 hours. And I know that I need to charge a hundred dollars an hour. Right. So that's what $3,000 for the project. Right. And so, you know, that you're going to meet your goal at the end of the year, but you quote the client, the $3,000 for the web design, because you don't, you're not telling them I'm going to spend 30 hours on your site. I'm charging you a hundred dollars an hour. They might balk at the hourly rate. They don't even need to know that. They just need to know that the end result they're going to get is exactly what they need. It's going to provide, you know, it's solving their problem and they're paying you one project fee. Uh, that's my way. That's right. my favorite way and, and really only way <laughs> besides retainers and things. Yeah, that's that's the way I do it too. It's by project because it, it, to me, it doesn't make sense to do by hour. And if people, if honestly, if a customer asks me for that, then I know they're not right for right. me. Exactly. Yeah, because they're they can go find somebody else that will do that. Yeah, because they're just gonna be tracking, right? <laughs> and counting beans. Exactly. And being like, how much is Ryan getting for this? Can I get no? Well, but I also know what I how I'm like, right? Yeah. It, so if I if I tell you it's gonna I'm gonna do something in eight hours, I personally know I'll probably spend ten to twelve hours mm-hmm. doing it. Like I just know right. that. So I want to make sure I'm paid for that extra time. Um, and then in case anybody's wondering, if you're gonna make a hundred thousand a year, you need to make eight thousand three hundred and thirty three dollars a month in revenue. And if you're going to get to a million, you need to make $83,333 a yeah. month. Okay. So to get, put that in perspective, if we go back to the $500 project, yeah. you need 17 new clients every month in order to get to $8,333 yes. for $100,000 a year. Right. So it's super important, I think, that you go through this exercise for income and billing and understand what that looks like for you. Uh, if for no other reason, then you know, when you jump in what you're getting into. Yes. People really need to empower themselves around like the financial side of the business, even though it's really scary because it can feel really great to land that $500 project, right? You're like, Oh my gosh, I did it. And if it's a side hustle, that's great. Build your portfolio. But I preach the same thing that you are saying right now, which is if you can you manage a workload of 17 clients and 17 different projects in a month no it's right. you can't serve your clients the way that they should be served you'll have zero time for yourself you'll be doing work in bed <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and nobody want like like i said before why would you want to run a business that way you're going to be miserable yeah. You know. Not to mention the fact that we haven't even talked about like, okay, 500 bucks, but there's also a transaction fee you're going to have to pay. And then you have to pay taxes. Yes. <laughs> and then you are going to have some expenses. So you got to pay for that. So when you get, when all said and done, you know, you're, you might be netting 300 bucks 17 times, yes. right? So you, you got to think of that. Yes. <laughs> and I, and I want to drive that point home because it's so important that people know, like we, we think we think about freelancing as Upwork, right? We think about, or a lot of people do anyway, they think about freelancing as, um, you know, hustling to get a gig. But I want people to know that, like, when you are running a business, whether it's freelance, consulting, whatever it is you're doing, six figures, $100,000 is not some pipe dream. $100,000 is literally, in my opinion, depending on where you live. I live in the Seattle area, it's expensive here. You have to make that in a business to pay for, you know, your taxes. Cause you have a hefty tax load when you're a, when you work for yourself, all of your expenses, your invoicing systems, all of that. If you have anybody who's helping you, you know, I, ha- I have people who help me with like the proofreading because as a writer, I need like another set of eyes, you know? Yeah, um, me too. Totally. Me yeah. Too. So you, you <laughs> will have a bunch of expenses. A hundred thousand dollars is not some dream. A hundred thousand dollars should be probably right. Your minimum, depending on where you live in the country. 
You also have a resource called Pitching Prospective Clients, but it's from a, a kind of a cold email outreach. I won't go into like all the details of it because you have some great templates in it that people can just like copy and paste and use. But how do you start to find the clients that you would even send these emails to? Yeah, for sure. And the reason I created that is because <clears throat> like you and I both know building a personal brand and doing inbound marketing is great. And to me, it's the ideal way to bring clients in. But when you're starting, you also have to be doing outreach. But I don't think that outreach should be pitching to these mass gig posts we talked about, right? On job board sites and things like that. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is super effective, and yes, you have to do a lot of it, right? You have to do a lot of pitching is to reach out directly to businesses or potential clients who could use your services. Now, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. And cold pitching your brand new connection on LinkedIn that you have not vetted, that you don't know if they really can benefit from your service or whatever is not the right way. <laughs> so let's just put that out there first. Um, the way to go about finding who to pitch is to you know look at those things like what is your niche what do you have to offer what you know if your niche is industry specific like let's start creating a list of businesses in that industry um, there are some simple cheats that I don't even think I have in that resource um, the Inc 5000 list you can literally go to the Inc 5000 list and sort by industry and these are the fastest growing US companies right? So you know that they are growing really fast and that they might need your help with whatever it is that you do. So you can go to an industry list and just like they even list who the CEO is, how much revenue they're making. Like you can target, this is my little, my secret, not so secret, secret. Um, <laughs> go to industry lists, right? And figure out who who, what are some businesses that you could be um, targeting. Then you can go to LinkedIn and search for that company and boom, it's going to pop up a bunch of people who work at that company. And then you go, okay, so they leave, you know, they're the director of marketing or, you know, user experience or whatever it is. And maybe you start just connecting with them and it's just a simple, you know, on LinkedIn and you say, Hey, hello, I'd like to, you know, get to know you. You don't pitch them in that first connection, but if you can find their email you can absolutely go to your email, use like these templates that I've created and pitch them that way. Because I feel like it's different to pitch someone via their like e their professional email to say, hey, I'm a service provider than to just connect with them and go pitch them one-to-one -one on LinkedIn. It's a different right. vibe in my opinion. Yeah. Nah, yeah, I totally agree. And by the way, you can, if you look at people's profiles, most of the time, not all the time, their, their email address is right there. Yes. Like they'll give it, they'll give it to you. So it's a great uh, way to a, find it. A, yes, a lot of the time. And I think it was you and I that were talking about Twitter. Were we talking about Twitter? Yeah, How, that's another way to do it too. Yep. It's another way because if you search them, search their name and Twitter and and like at whatever the company is, .com, you'll probably see where they've tweeted to people, hey, yeah, if you have that issue or you whatever, like reach me here. And they've tweeted their email out. It's yep. super simple. Yeah. Yeah. You did, I mean, it, it's well, okay. So it's simple for us because we, yes. we get it right. Right. It's simple for everybody else, but you have to do it. Like you have yes. to actually go do it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think, and I'll admit this, I'll be the first to admit this because I, I think it's probably a challenge for a lot of other people. For me, prospecting was something that held me up because it does, it's monotonous, tedious work and you have to do a lot of it and just be collecting names and doing the research and getting email addresses. And it's not fun. Yeah. It's not fun. And tailoring your pitch to each one, right. Um, it's tedious and I hated it. And so I would be like, Oh, I'll do some. And then I wouldn't do it to the full, you know, but you've got to do it. You have to yep. do the work. And it yep. is a numbers game to some degree when it comes to, <laughs> pitching, right? Totally. hundred percent agree. Now, one thing that will help people find you is, as we said earlier, thought leadership stuff. So putting out content and yeah. one other download that you have on your website is, is one called the blog and social media content idea generator, mm, Yeah, which is a great way for people to learn how to put out a bunch of different pieces of content real quick. That's targeted. So yeah. Um, I want to quickly touch on because I want to get to two more things here, and I know we're getting close to time. But um, I want to real quick. Let's help people get 
some content ideas. Mm -hmm. So we start with our niche, which is where we started this conversation. Once we have that, you recommend that they take that business niche and divide it into three categories. Mm -hmm. How should people think about those three categories? For me, when, when you think about the different ways that you can generate ideas, it can come down to um, dividing your niche topic into sort of subtopics that you help people with. And I know there's some other prompts in there. And and I actually am developing a course, which I won't, I'm not promoting it because it's not even um, out there yet, but that it walks people through a very similar exercise to that that idea generator. And it's like, okay, start thinking, like step into the shoes of, of the person that you're trying to help, right? What are some of their challenges with nutrition? Like you said, what are the roadblocks? What are their most common mistakes? And then you can also think about um, what are their, uh, what are the tools that can help them? So there's a bunch of other post ideas, right? Okay. A daily um, planner, meal planner, uh, another tool, a calorie counter, right? I'm just throwing stuff out there, but If you start thinking about their problems, their desired outcomes, the tools that they can be leveraging, um, resources, all of that, that, and you really just, I think it's best to do that exercise kind of in a brainstorming session where you really sit with it because the ideas are going to start rolling once you do that. You're like, oh, they need this, they need this, their challenge is this, their desire is this. And then boom, you have so many content ideas. So people can stop saying, I don't know what to post about today. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason people say that is because they don't actually understand their customer. Yeah, exactly. And this exercise, like the first, like the first one we talked about really helps you zero in on, okay, what are the things that are important to my customer? And then you have a yet another download. And this is the last one we'll talk about today <laughs> called the four powerful ways that you can use stories to connect and convert. So now I take my ideas yep. and now I can start to tell stories And you have a couple of different story types that you um, talk about in here. So tell me, tell me first about like, why is it important to talk about your brand story? Yeah. So your brand story is going to be, and people, this is something that I know some people have, you know, are challenged with this and other people know right away what their story is. But basically your brand story is going to be the thing that kind of shows, um, why you're the right person to help this, you know, your ideal client. So your brand story is going to be, hey, I used to be a, a miserable, struggling nine to fiver, right? Just like you. And I did these things. And now this is where I am. Now I, you know, work from home and I blah, 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 right? This is my brand story um, in, a, in a very um, non-compelling <laughs> nutshell, right? But that's the brand story. Right. That's super important because people can see themselves in you, right? They go, okay that's, that resonates with me. I'm stuck in the nine to five. I'm miserable. I want to go where she is now. So then they start to build that no like, and trust factor we were talking about. They resonate. They go, okay, she can help me because she gets me. Another type of story, a powerful way to connect with your audience really is the everyday story. When you say everyday story, what do you mean by that? The way I see it, I think every experience we have is a story, right? Every moment is a potential story. Like what did I just experience that I learned something from? I just gained an insight. I just, you know, um, learned something about myself, something about my, my industry, whatever. Um, it's kind of like a metaphor, right? It's like thinking, if you start thinking about metaphors and analogies, like how does this moment in my day and this lesson that I've learned, how can I then use this as a metaphor to show other people to, to relate to this everyday story and take this insight or whatever and apply it to what they're doing. Think about like, okay, so think about it as transformational, right? Like what did I learn today that helped transform the way I view something? If it becomes transformational or it helps to um, highlight your personal value system or something like that, then you can communicate it. I think the resource will be helpful for people because I do provide like examples for people yeah. to walk through. Yeah, totally. And I also think the just the more you do it, the more comfortable you become with it. So for example, um, a, a fellow guest on the, on the podcast and a friend of mine, her name is uh, Sarah Johnston. She is really great at taking everyday stories and relating them to another type of story that you like to tell, which is a customer success story. She recently put out a post about how buying a latte at Starbucks reminded her of how she was able to help one of her clients go from where they were to a place that was much better, which 
is fantastic. So tell me about customer success stories. How important are they to talk about? Yeah, the customer success story is so, so important because you have to be like your brand story, you know, you're relating with people, you're building, you know, you're starting to build the know and like piece of that, that important know, like, and trust factor. Um, the everyday stories, again, you're engaging people, you're getting to connect with you, you're getting them to, you know, think you're sparking ideas in them the customer success story is going to show them the credibility piece. It's going to build trust and it's going to show them that you've helped other people do go through this transformation and you have to be able to tell that story. Now, really quickly, if you don't have, if you're brand new, you don't have a customer success story, use your own story. That's why it's really important that your brand story aligns with your ideal customer and that you can show in your brand story, your own transformation. Perfect. So if you don't have customer success stories, use your own. Yeah, but as you get customer success stories, ask them questions after the success. What what was successful? Why was it successful? Why yes. did you choose me instead of somebody else? I've, yep. I've personally found once you end an engagement with a client, like that's the best time before you get off the phone with them. <laughs> Ask yeah. them that because it's still fresh in their mind. They're still thinking about, okay, man, I was in this place before and now I'm here. Because if you wait two or three months afterwards, it's like they might remember, but it won't be nearly as clear. Yeah, I actually, I love that. And I recommend to people, if you can get as part of your wrapping up a project or an engagement with a client, you send them a thank you, you send them the final invoice, right? Whatever that looks like. And then you have a couple of simple questions. Hey, and I would love for you to give me feedback on these things. Just like you said, boom, boom, boom. As part of your, like they'll just do it right there when they receive everything else and it's fresh in their minds. Um, and by the way, you can also say, is there anyone else that you know could use my my help? Yeah. Any referrals, right? Ask for, ask for the feedback, like you said, and the referrals right there when you wrap up a project when it's fresh. Yeah. I love it. Totally. I love it. All right. Let's do a quick recap. We have, for those of you aspiring freelance entrepreneurs, side gig people out there, we have helped you understand how to choose a niche. And we're going to say niche and not niche. Yes, we are. <laughs> now that you know what your niche is, who is that ideal client that you need to go and start talking to? Then you got to think about, okay, what do I, what do I need to charge? How much am I going to work? And then once you know that information, now you can start to reach out to clients and we won't, I won't say it. We'll make people go back and listen if they don't remember. But the number one little secret that you gave us, ink something, um, you can use uh, Aaron's per pitch perspective with email templates to send it out. We helped you find some content ideas. And then also how you can then tell stories using those content ideas to help build up your thought leadership. And so what I want to close out with today, because you also have a podcast, which I was honored to be on, yep. um, called Just Say the yep. Word. So tell me a little bit about your podcast and how you use that podcast to help people who are, who are trying to build their brand, trying to build their business. Yeah. So um, what I do with the podcast, it's it's not as much of a, every once in a while, I kind of have like a more tips focused one, but it is a storytelling podcast where either I tell a story and what I learned from it, how other people can apply, you know, the lesson from that. Those tend to be shorter episodes when it's just me, or I have mostly others on like you who share their story. And then I start to dig into how they got from where they were to where they are now so that others can, those who are listening, who are typically are new or aspiring entrepreneurs, and they can say, oh, I, I get it. That's how that can apply to me. There's all these different perspectives from people in different niches and different industries. Um, and I want to also use that podcast to show people things like what we talked about, um, that Everybody goes through this, like a lot of people, there's no instant overnight success. A lot of people what? have that, the 20 year, <laughs> <laughs> right? The, the 20 year runway in sales. And then they use that, you know, to create their business. So just all of these stories from other entrepreneurs, I think are so not just inspiring, but insightful to listeners. Um, and also if they're paying attention to how the storytelling is being used, then they can start doing, I mean, it really just it's learning by listening to how these stories are being used, right? To, to promote the people who are on the podcast, they're promoting their personal brand or talking about their transformation. So really start to tune in to how storytelling is being used um, to further their own businesses. Yeah. And I like the fact that too, that you tie together an entire podcast with just one word. Tell me how you came up with that concept or that thought. 
Oh gosh, it was probably painful. I labor over every idea <laughs> for so long. Um, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm a word nerd, right? So I started thinking like, what, what is like the theme or what like encapsulates this person's story, right? Or what is, what is something that is kind of the thread throughout what they do? Um, and I just started thinking like, okay, what if I, what if I just said, Hey, let's boil everything that we're talking about down into one word that people can take away with them and think about and stew on, right? And what that word means to them and how they can start to think about, um, you know, how they flourish, right? Your word or how they network or, or whatever the word might be. So just something to kind of stick with them um, and encapsulate that, that bigger picture. So Aaron, it's been great talking to you. Um, like like our last conversation, this one could go on for hours and hours, right. um, so, but we'll spare everyone the rest of the <laughs> the other hours and we'll go ahead and start to wrap things up now. So for those folks who would like to download any of the stuff that we've been talking about today, uh, which by the way, I highly recommend they go do that. Um, what are the best ways for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so they can just go to candidlyaaron.com. I have tons of opt-ins on my site and they will all provide access to that resource library, right? Everything will send you an email with login information. Um, and then I'm pretty much on every social media channel at candidlyaaron. So Instagram, Twitter, all of those, candidlyaaron. And then um, on LinkedIn, I'm Aaron Sanchez, but there's probably a few of them. I do think I come up fairly high in those because I'm pretty active on there. Um, but you'll see, it says like storytelling and my, you know, my stuff is emblazoned all over the profile. So Congruency in action. Yep. <laughs> right. Candidly, Aaron, everywhere. everywhere. Any final thoughts, tips, words of wisdom you'd like to pass on to anybody that's listening today? I think that they just need to remember, and this is like maybe the lamest advice, but truly the thing that they need to do is one, believe that there's clients out there who need what you have to offer and two, show up every day in some way to find those clients every single day. That's what it takes. The consistency. If you keep showing up every day, you're going to make this work. It just takes a little time. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Aaron, <laughs> thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I appreciate um, all the stuff that you put out on social media, all the resources that you have for people. And I know if they just go download some of your stuff and start to do it, they will become better at what they're doing. Thank you so much, Ryan, for having me on and for checking out my resource library and, and asking such thoughtful questions. It's really appreciated. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Today's show was edited and produced by Ryan Roten. Today's theme music is called Hudson Hawk by Neon Beach. And the LinkedIn made simple ad music is Jimmy Two Times by Dresden the Flamingo. All licenses for today's music were purchased via Soundstripe.com. <laughs>